is worthy, he's worthy of our praise. We're trying to get a lot of teaching in this year. We can praise and worship and get into his presence at home, in our secret place, spend hours there and just get in that secret place. But the Lord wants me to get the word out, um, because the word is what's able, the word is able to save the soul. Listen to that. The word is able to save the soul. I thought the soul was saved. We've been rescued from the dominion of power of death into the kingdom of his love. You gotta keep, we got to keep in mind, we've got to keep the spirit and the soul separated. They have to be separated because when you got born again, they, God came in with the word and with the spirit, and he separated the soul and the spirit. They're, they're independently working now. The Spirit is full of light. It's been redeemed by the Word, been, been redeemed by the blood. But the soul has not been redeemed. It has been converted. It's going to be converted by the renewing of the mind. Okay? Everything's covered by the blood. Everything's covered by the blood. The Spirit and the soul is covered by the blood. Amen? The spirit is whole, but the soul is not. Why isn't it? It's got to be renewed. It's that our mind has got to start thinking like God. And we start thinking like God, the same salvation that's in our spirit is going to be delivered to our head, to our mind, our soul. Amen. The Lord does nothing unless he reveals it to his prophets. And uh, he reveals... Things like this, these visions to us, before he does something. And anytime the Lord does something, it's always good. It's always good. He's always leading us into triumph. He's always making us like himself. Everything he does is good. That's what I love about serving the Lord and serving our Father, is because he's been good to me. And that's why I'm here tonight. That's why I come here every Saturday night, because he's been good to me. Amen? He's been good to you? And that's why you're here tonight. Amen? Well, we've been teaching on what's holding us back from God's best. What's holding us back from living the fullness of of Jesus Christ's life. There's something holding us back. And the Lord said that uh, spots hold us back. And spots are developed out of the residue of the fall of Adam in our soul. And that's why the mind has to be renewed back to God through its thinking and start thinking like God. Because we're made in His image, right? The Bible says we're made in His image. What's His image? Who remembers? This is training for reigning. This is anybody can talk tonight. Uh, this, is, this is teaching. We want to interact. Who remembers what the Greek and the Hebrew meaning of his image is? Nobody? Character. Who said it? Character. His character and then his what? His authority. 
That's the image of God. So how do we build God's character in us? The Bible says we must glory in tribulation. For tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured into our spirit, into our heart. So until we take on the character of God and start bearing the fruit of his character, the power of his authority will not descend. Because the power comes on his character. And the only way that you can rule and reign in the kingdom here on this earth is you've got to have his power. Now his power is different from his anointing. His anointing is, is there to separate you from the things that aren't of God. That's what this, the sacred anointing does. It separates us. But what's his power? His presence. His presence is his power. His presence can only rest on his character. So it, as you see, you've got a spirit and you have a soul. You have the anointing. The Bible says the anointing abides what? In us. The anointing is in us. It's in our spirit. The anointing is there for a purpose. And the purpose is to help us be like God. To help us renew the mind through the word of God so that we can start bearing the fruit of his character. We can start thinking like him. And we start bearing the fruit of his character. His presence comes and descends upon us. And that presence is where the power is to rule and to reign on the earth uh, because all power and all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And we got grafted in him. We got a hold of his power. So I'm going to be teaching on, but first I want to, I want to read something real quick. This, is, this was a newsletter, or it came out from a, a prophet, and... Um, I thought it was very interesting because it was, it, was, it was put in my hands this morning by the Lord. And uh, it's so timely for what God is doing in this hour with this church, with his saints, with the chosen ones, the royal priesthood, which is you and me. But it says, who, who remembers Smith Wigglesworth? Amen. Yeah. Smith, Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. And he was in England, I believe he was in England. And uh, at about 55 years old, he quit his plumbing job and just started ministering the gospel. And the next thing you know, he's raising the dead. I think he raised his wife how many times? Three or four times? She died four times, he raised her back up. Can you imagine? Now, now, now that, was, that was in the 1940s. What happened? What happened? Why aren't we doing that? Because the time of Jesus is getting near. 
to come back to rapture his church. And you know why it's getting near is because when he starts revealing information like this, that he wants us clean, that he wants us unspotted from the world, no agreements with the world, because the world got filtrated into the church. And don't you know, you cannot raise the dead when the dead's abiding in you. Isn't that right? If we have any agreement with the world, as we just said tonight, fear is the spirit of the world. So if we've got agreement with the spirit of fear, then how are we going to raise the dead when dead is, is, is living in us? Living in our mind, living in our soul. Now keep this separated, don't get confused, because the spirit is whole, it's full of light. Jesus rules and the Holy Spirit is all in my spirit and your spirit. But he said you've got to work out your salvation. Didn't he say that? So what he means is work out what's in here into here. And then he can come back. Aren't you ready for him to come back? I mean, we could be, uh, I could be teaching right now and be lifted right now. All of us be lifted right now. And it says at the, at the, at the blink of an eye, we're gone. Can you imagine? And caught up in the air with Jesus. That's going to be a glorious reunion. And, and the beautiful part about it is, the Bible says that every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him will see him in the cloud. Can you imagine? I can't. It's just some. But listen. In the 1940s, Wigglesworth said, I'm going to burn... The Lord spoke to Wigglesworth. And he said, Wigglesworth, I'm going to burn you all up until there's no more Wigglesworth left. <laughs> Only Jesus. The anointing of God is to get rid of your flesh. That's what he's talking about here with Wigglesworth. He responded to the Lord with red-hot tears flowing down his face. Lord, please burn everything out of me until there's nothing left of me but Jesus. I remember crying out to the Lord years and years and years, Lord, make me more like you. Take everything out of me that's not of you. And I went through trials, went through trials, and went through trials that a lot of people don't know about. And he was taken, getting rid of Gene Hall. And the way Gene Hall used to think. And start thinking like Jesus. But he went on to say, Let God have his way. As he has begun to challenge our heart and life right to the core of our inner beings until there is nothing left but only the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. We're in that hour, hour could last years, of the judgment of God, and nobody likes to hear that word, but it's really not what you think it is. It says, in truth, no matter how sanctified we have endured to become over our walk in Christ, short of translation, we are 
we are all still beset by a certain subterranean level blindness and strongholds. Strongholds of fear, unbelief, frustration, resentment towards God, and many other like sinful energies, energies which our conscious mind we know must not be allowed to commandeer our persona, but which nonetheless remained buried in us, buried beneath our ability to even consciously recognize them for what they are. We only know that we have long-standing walls and barriers in our lives we can't seem to overcome. But don't know what, why, why that is. After, life, after a life of devotion and service to the Lord, and it still remains. Isn't that amazing? Some of us have walked with the Lord for 20 and 30 years and still have to deal with the issues of the sinful nature. Fear. Anxiety, worry, depression. Angry at God. Listen, if you're angry at people, you're really angry at God. Because if you love God and you feel His love, you'll love everybody. So it goes on to say, But the present judgment which is on us all is not about vengeance and not about punishment. And that's what we've been teaching. It's not about vengeance and it's not about punishment. Because Christ took on that for us. He took on all our punishment. He took on all our vengeance then what kind of judgment is it? It says it is about the mercy of God to reach into exposing, cleansing out, and purifying us of hidden darkness of which we are unconscious and incapable of partnering with him for cleansing our secret faults. So this judgment is a merciful judgment. We feel the mercy of God, but the enemy that we are in agreement with in our minds is feeling the vengeance of God. He's, he's the one that's being judged for trespassing the temple. So, as I said earlier, I don't have that vision up, but our words are seeds. We sow into this law, we sow into that law. We sow into the law of sin and death, we sow into the law of life and peace. But, when we sow in the law of life and peace, guess who shows up? The Spirit of grace. We sow in the law of, of sin and death, guess who so, shows up? The Spirit of mercy. So, so he has us covered. Either way, he's got us covered. So the judgment is not on us in this hour when, when people say the judgment is on the house of God because he's judging the house of God before he judges the world. That's what the Word says. But our judgment is past. We've been judged. He's judging the house. Who's in the house? And mercy, the spirit of mercy, extends to us to help us get through it. Because we've been connected out of ignorance to a wrong mindset. Amen? When we think on fear, fear comes on us, right? When we think on anxiety, it comes on us. When we think on anger, it comes on us. So when judgment comes on that enemy, that devil, and we've been in agreement with him, thinking like he does, then we're going to feel the effects of what he's going through. 
But mercy helps us get through it. Amen? So let's not get focused on the judgment. Let's get focused on the mercy of God that brings us through. Because years ago, years ago, 10 years ago, the Lord told me, He said, Gene, there's aged babes in the church. He said, there's gray-haired babes in the church. I didn't know what that meant. And I prayed and sought him, and I said, what does that mean? He said, they're still babies. They're still infants. I don't see our little man chart. Can somebody get that little man chart and just stand it up, maybe over here, so that uh, the new visitors can see how we're supposed to grow up into the Lord, all of us together. Uh, put it right here, because I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to talk about those over there. Just put it like right here. In 06, between 04, 05, and 06, the Lord gave me a lot of visions. I think 15 of them over a two-year period, but this was the first one. And it shows coming from a lost man to, to, to a born-again man. And when the Lord said aged babes, he meant this one right here, staying in this state. You see how small the Christ is when it's supposed to be like this. This is the full character of God right here. And his full power and authority on our life. So what the enemy has tried to do is keep you from moving from here to here, progressing into the full maturity of Jesus Christ by keeping us uh, through lack of knowledge. But the Lord is not taking out vengeance on us. He is not condemning us. Conversely, neither is his mercy without correction. So mercy is helping us while the Holy Spirit is correcting us. And the Word of God is correcting us. That's what the Holy Spirit and the Word does. It corrects us to start thinking like God does. And what else does this say? It said, uh, the present judgment is from the inside out, not from the outside in. Eventually the judgment kicks into a greater gear and moves from the, from the desert to the mainstream and from the holy place to the outer court, the more prominent ministries will come down. We're seeing that already. There's going to be more of that. Because uh, about four years ago, the Lord said, you see the big prominent ministries, they will come down. And the small, there's a bunch of small ministries just like this all over the place that God is cleaning them up. And they understand that. So he said the small, the big, will come down, and the small will become big. So that's when the, the church of Jesus Christ will truly rise up in power. Power, the presence of the Father, the authority of heaven. Can you imagine? You won't, you won't have to pray over people and, 
and labor over people in prayer trying to get a demon out of them. You just say, come out. Come out. Somebody's dead, you say, raise up. We're supposed to be like him, right? That's exactly what he did. But we've got to have his character to be able to perform in that kind of power. So that's what this is all about. I'm going to move ahead a little bit here so I can get in the message. Um, training for reigning. Taking ownership of what is ours. These three visions of unforgiveness, shame, and rejection over here, these are high mindsets that rise up against God's promotion in your life. God is trying to connect us to what belongs to royalty. Think about that. He's trying to connect us to what belongs to royalty. He said you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Amen? Well, royalty is not broke. Royalty is not disgusted and fearful. Royalty has everything. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. Amen? Kings and priests. So when the enemy, the enemy knows that you have to receive from God for God to be glorified in you. Right? Remember he said, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. You ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. And by this, my what? My father is glorified. So he's glorified in your receiving. So if we take the church from this born again uh, stature over to here to the next promotion in God. Right here is when all these high things shoot up against the knowledge of God. Because the enemy knows that if you get a hold of the knowledge of God, he's defeated in your life and in my life. And how does knowledge come? Through revelation. Through revelation. How does revelation come? Through intimacy with Christ. That's how it comes. So they rise up when God speaks to promote you while you're in the in-between zone. How many of you have been in that in-between zone? Not knowing which way to go, can't hear God, just can't feel God. There seems to be no direction. That's when you really have to trust the one you can't see. That's when you really have to go back to your born-again experience and put your trust in that moment. He rescued me from the pits of hell, from that miry clay and brought me into the kingdom of the son of his love. So leaving what you know to who you need to know more. So over here, we're leaving what we already know in Christ, the foundational principles of faith in God and foundational principles of repentance, uh, over to here to know more of Him. 
but we don't do away with what we already learn. We build on it, right? We build on it. This is the foundation of Jesus right here in us. Now, the Apostle Paul said, now, build the house. Build the house. He said, another's going to come upon the foundation and build the house. So we don't confound the enemy by our... Listen, I love this when the Lord said this this morning. He said, we don't confound the enemy by our answers. We confound the enemy by questions. So if you've got an enemy working in your life around you, he'll never be confounded by your answers. He'll be confounded by your questions. Remember? The Holy Spirit, when he speaks, it can't be contradicted. It doesn't return void. So we've got to think like God, because God, listen, God doesn't think like this. He doesn't think like this. God doesn't think like this. Or this one over here. This is not how God thinks. So we program, we can program anything into our life. Amen? We can program the blessing or we can program the cursing. It's our choice. We program it into our minds. Shame will, will leave when you see the joy set before you. See this? I'm ministering on this tonight. Shame. When Jesus said the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Despising shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What did he see? What brought him joy? You and me. Connected back to the Father. So when we get a revelation of what's on the other side of shame, if we've got shame in our life, then be like Jesus. He said, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. So he's crossing over from the shame he took on for us into heaven. He went into heaven at the resurrection. So we have image problems. That's what the Lord told me. He said we, the body of Christ has image problems because we've, we let someone besides Jesus program some mindset into our life. Amen? Somebody besides Jesus programmed our minds because somebody's going to program your mind through thoughts. God wants to measure things to you. There's a measure of things he wants to get to us, but we don't have the mental capacity to handle it. That's why we stay so limited, because there's so much more he wants to give us, but we don't have the mental capacity to handle the measure that he wants to give us. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The sinful nature is weak. We yield to the sinful nature. So in the hour of trial is when promotion is in motion, of course. We all know that. But we seem to yield to the flesh in the trial more than we do the love of God in that trial towards us and the mercy towards us. 
Because Jesus said you're kings. Now kings receive revelation that a slave can't receive. And if we've got these high mindsets that, that, that uh, exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, there's a portion of us that we're not receiving the revelation we need. Because a portion of us is a, a slave to this stuff. God, want, he said we're kings. Kings receive revelation that a slave cannot receive. Isn't that good? Because we've been, we've been, this ministry is about moving you from the church age to the kingdom age, right? So we've got to move from the elementary principles of the cross, right? We don't forget that because we've got, we got to bear the cross every time we, amen? Every time we grow, we're going to bear a cross. We're going to cross over. So we build on the cross. And we come into full kingship. Now, when you're in full kingship, can you imagine the revelation that's being revealed to you? Nothing can deceive you when you're moving in that kind of revelation. Kings receive so much revelation that someone in slavery can't. And slavery is bondage. Wrong mindsets. Wrong mindsets. Let's look at the definition of a stronghold. Who's going to read that? Strongholds are first established in the mind, which is why we are, we are to take every thought captive. Behind every thought is a lie, a place of personal bondage where God's word has been subjugated to any unscriptural idea personality, confused belief that is held to be true. Behind every lie is fear, and behind every fear is an idol. Idols are established whenever there exists failure to trust in the provision of God that are ours through Jesus Christ. Some of the weapons that pull down these strongholds are God's Word, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, the blood of the cross, Revelation 12, 11, and the name of Jesus. Mark 16, 17. Strongholds are pulled down and confronted bondage is broken as these spiritual weapons are employed. Those weapons are powerful. The word, the blood, and the name. But see what it's saying. The stronghold is established in the mind. A stronghold is a demonic pattern of thinking. If, if you think you're going to be fearful, if you think you're going to be uh, angry, if you think these things, if you think on these defenses of Satan right here, because uh, in Matthew, or, or Luke 11, 20 and 22, it says a strong man has his defenses to protect his goods. And what are the goods here? Unforgiveness, shame, and rejection. And you see the defenses, these defenses are nothing more than thoughts that come into your mind that we're supposed to cast down and bring captive because they don't line up with, it, with the way God thinks. This is not the way the Lord thinks. So it's a place where God's love and truth is not 
is where a stronghold is. Strongholds cap off the energy you need to be joyful. Look at the, look at the power that's underneath that stronghold. That's the energy that we need to have the fullness of joy. Because the fullness of joy is a result of what? Salvation. Something being made whole in our life. Then joy comes. If you see a lot of people out there with a lot of joy, and, and something's not whole, or a lot of things aren't whole in their life, or is it real? It could be a mask. See one of the defenses? Masking? To make you think? That's religion, to make you think that everything's good, that I'm, I'm whole. It's a mask. Strongholds cap off that energy to be joyful. The Lord said, let your hands replace the hands that push back what you need. Let your hands replace it. Lift up your hands to the Lord and don't let these lift up their hands, pushing back exactly what you need. And that's the knowledge of God. That's what it's pushing back, is the knowledge of God. So when you lift up your hands, guess what? Your mind is free. Your mind is free when you lift up your hands to Jesus because you're saying, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. Free hands. Lifted up as a free mind that knows that God is our source. God is our source. Stress sends a signal that your body is under attack. How many of you have stress? That's a signal that your body is under attack. When you feel stressful... You become worried and anxious, right? Perplexed. That's a sign that your body is under attack. Now, what's the attack? Sickness. The enemy wants to make, make us sick so we won't be effective in the body of Christ. Can't sleep. Stress makes you eat more and more and more and more. Stress will move you to fight carnally soulishly and physically. That's what carnal means. Remember the word says, your weapons for warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, so that your obedience can be fulfilled. So carnal weapons is fighting with the tongue. Soulishly, fighting with your hands. Marriages, hitting each other. That's carnal. We shouldn't be doing that. So strongholds not only hold you back from God's best for your life, they are there to kill the body. Like we expressed, uh, taught last week on unforgiveness, um, unforgiveness brings cancer to light. So, someone who has cancer, the Lord said 99% of it is usually the spirit of unforgiveness causing that cancer to come forth. Unforgiveness kills. 
shame. The Lord said, unforgiveness kills through bitterness. Over here, he said, shame kills the mind's emotional function to edify the kingdom of God. Through guilt, embarrassment, and unworthiness. Shame kills the emotional function to edify the kingdom of God through guilt, embarrassment, and unworthiness. Listen, God, God put these functions in our, in our soul for the purpose of the kingdom, to manifest the kingdom, to produce the kingdom. The kingdom of God is generating in your spirit, but it's got to be produced through your mind, through your soul. And out of your mouth comes the kingdom, because words are life. Your words are life. They produce the kingdom. And over here on rejection, he said rejection kills the mind's affections. Kills the mind's function to edify the kingdom of love. A love that sets you free from looking to man as your source of true love. The affections, when it's, when it's not renewed by the word of God, you'll always look to man for your source and your love. That's what the stronghold of rejection causes you to do. So the teaching tonight is going to be on the stronghold of shame. And you'll have to get to want the tape or CD from last week about the unforgiveness, but the stronghold of shame and the victory we have through the word, the blood, and the name. That is so powerful. If we just let go and live, that's all we have to do is let go and live. To get your hands and mind free to receive God's love and truth in another major and give it out. To stop being overlooked. Stop being held back. Stop being unloved. Aren't you tired of that? I know I'm tired of it. We will miss it if we don't hear the truth and obey the word of God. Every time we hear the truth, we're supposed to obey it, right? And if we don't obey it, we miss something, right? Amen. So he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Shame is a part of us. Let's, let's look at this vision right here. Shame is a part of us that we are aware of, but do not allow anyone else to know. How many of you have been there? We're aware that we've done something in the dark, but we don't want anybody else to know about it, right? Well, guess what? Guess who sees it? He's an all-seeing God. He sees everything. I call it the hiding game. It started in the Garden of Eden. The hiding game resulting from the forbidden fruit. I know with me, I couldn't wait on God to send my wife. I'd get off on a tangent with somebody else and, and partake of that forbidden fruit. And then I felt that shame. Amen. Well, 
There's not supposed to be any shame in us because that's been dealt with on the cross. So whose shame is it? The enemy. We invite him in. His shame comes in. That's what it is. It's him. He's bringing his shame in to our minds. So the stronghold of shame keeps us doing what we would not do in the light. I remember how, how, how exciting it was to go hide and do certain things. But all that came down when the Lord started moving and revealing what needed to be cleansed out of my life so that he could get the glory. The stronghold of shame camouflages what we don't want people to know about us, our past and our present. Let's look at what causes this. Shame's army of defenses, rebellion, pride, controlling, cursing, deception, self-centered, masking. These are Satan's defenses that keep shame alive in us. So let's look at the, uh, the cause. Identify the cause. Something we are subjected to and overpowered by. Abuse, lust, betrayal, and forbidden. This is what caused the spirit of shame, who is Satan, to come in and form that spot out of the residue of the fall. And the residue of the fall is what? The unrenewed areas of our mind that aren't renewed back to God's thinking. So abuse, lust, betrayal, and forbidden things is what invites the spirit of shame to set up a spot, an elevated pl place in the soul so that Satan can build his strong mindset in you against the knowledge of God. Let's identify the symptoms. Shame is a painful emotion caused by a strong sense of guilt, embarrassment, or unworthiness. So if you're not in touch with the defenses and not in touch with the cause, then you're going to be in touch with the symptoms. Because the Lord told me the hidden spot is, is, is probably the, one of the most damaging spots because it keeps pushing things down to a deep unconscious level. In fact, I want Lee to come up and give a testimony about this. Um... Since we're on it, because Lee has a testimony of how she uh, connected to the symptoms, not the other parts of the problem. I guess it was about a year ago that Jean started teaching about the different spots, the um, things that we all go through, and we made these little charts, and we put them in the conference room. And we looked at them, and I remember he was so excited about it. And he said, look at these. Tell me, what do you have? You know, and I could look at things, and I could tell that I had 
you know, something. So I looked at shame. I was like, okay, I passed over it. <laughs> I went right to rejection. I said, I have a lot of that. But I really didn't think I had any shame until he taught it. Because when he was looking at it, you know, I didn't think I was rebellious. I didn't think I had pride. You know, I'd look at everything in a basic definition. You know how we look at things as what perception is reality? How we define a word? Well, when he started teaching the lesson, and he started talking about the symptoms, and he said, if you feel guilt, when he was talking about shame, embarrassment, or unworthiness, you have shame. Well, all of a sudden, I felt the rush all over me. I have a lot of shame. I've had a lot of shame. Because, can you go back to that one before? There was one before when you mentioned about abuse and forbidden. I hear. Oh, okay. Something, identify the cause. Something we are subjected to and overpowered by abuse, love, betrayal, or forbidden things. I grew up in a very abusive home where we weren't even allowed to be known we existed. For many, many, many years, we weren't allowed to have friends over. Everything was very isolated in my growing up. And I used to feel that I was a happy person, but I didn't feel happiness around me. And I remember looking at the world and saying, it's got to be happier out there. And so when he said guilt, embarrassment, unworthiness, every time I would step in a crowd, I would feel I was unworthy. I would feel embarrassed just because of who I was. Because I didn't know even how to speak or talk to people. So when I looked at this and I saw masking flared out at me, and I realized I have walked my whole life masking happiness. Because I knew I loved joy and happiness, but I thought it was always somewhere else. When you live isolated, you think happiness is across the street. You think happiness is what somebody else is doing. So then what do you do? You try to go find what somebody else is doing. In fact, I had a moment where I, I tried to kill myself because I was left isolated in the same home, same yard, could never see anybody. And I used to think, wow, if this is what life is all about, even though I like myself, I would rather be dead. And I would, always, I would look out and say, that must be happiness in that home. There's got to be happiness in that home. And so what did I do? I got over that moment, and then I went to college. And I remember sitting in my dorm room, and I'm thinking, well, that must be a happier family. That must be happier. So when a group says, come join a sorority, I said, sure, I'll join it. I didn't want to. I was masking. I did that because I thought that would make me happier. And then maybe I would get over some of my embarrassment, feeling like I was different than everybody else. So the lessons that have come here, I kept going from masking to masking, even getting married and I'm masking. And then living with somebody, masking. And then I kept going through the cycle. I kept going through it because all I wanted people was to think what? I was really happy. Even though I had a sense of joy about me, it's my nature. <laughs> but it, it wasn't real. I didn't feel fullness about it. So then I would hop and hop. And then finally, in the last relationship I had, I did everything to make it so happy. Everything looked perfect. Every, people who always knew me, even in my first marriage and my second relationship, said, that girl's got it together. I always looked like I had it together, but I wasn't. I never felt right. But the most amazing thing is I thought I did have it together the last time. Why? Because I was controlling. I built the most beautiful house. I gave this person the most wonderful car. I had the most wonderful car. I was working. Everything. I was exalting an image. 
And then all of a sudden, it hurt me when he cheated on me. And when he did, I had made a promise, deception, that I would never, I promised that I would never speak and complain about anything to anybody. I had said that to myself. But then when the tragedy happened and he cheated on me, I really did. I kept it to myself. And it was a devastation because I made everybody think that everything was so perfect. I didn't know how to tell him it wasn't. And then I even deceived myself by thinking I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Until one day, somebody sat down and said to me, what isn't right in your life? And I looked into that person's eyes, and I had to tell the truth. But I wasn't happy. And that exactly what happened to me, and I had to put my hands down and say, I am not in control. And I did feel guilt, and I felt embarrassment about it. And then all of a sudden, I had to change my life. I had to say, this is wrong. This isn't, and it's okay to be able to tell somebody you're not happy. But it all stems from the abuse I lived in. I lived in a very abusive home where my father would come in the middle of the night and pull any one of us out. He even cut my sister's hair off in eighth grade. We feared so much that we had to go to school, and the first thing my parents would say is, do not talk to the counselor. So we lived with deception of knowing never to share. So did you see all that buildup? So to me, I wanted to run to college. <laughs> I ran into a bad marriage. I then ran into something I thought was real love. But all I was running is through the same cycle of masking. We all do it. I love the word when I saw hidden. Because deep down, even though everybody thought I was happy, because I could play it well, because it is part of my nature to be joyful. It's easy for me to be happy. But I worked at making it look. I worked so hard to make it look happy. I tended the farm. I made it look good. I made everything look pretty. And even if somebody said, are you happy? I am happy. <laughs> and when I realized I wasn't is when somebody asked me. And they asked it to me in such a way that that was it. And I realized I wasn't happy. And I wasn't really happy with myself. And I felt like I let everybody down. And then I had to now confront people. So shame is so powerful because it deceives us from speaking it. It deceives us. It deceives us from really identifying. Identify, then sanctify. Do we really identify what we're hiding? Are we good at really working it in the world? Do we really sanctify and ask ourselves, is this real? And that's one thing I had to come to terms with. And it was in this ministry, and I sat right there, and I looked at shame, and I was like, I have a lot of shame. Because and it was everything. Pride, rebellion, controlling. I, I was never a person. But money, self-centered, masking, all this stuff. I can go back and see the cycles of myself living in shame. Living all because I feared. And what did I fear? I feared my father. And what did that in turn is? Then I feared men. And then one turn is I feared people. I would speak, I would I became an elementary teacher and I would speak in front of and I'd run to the bathroom and almost throw up. So what was that? Was I really happy? No, but I was trying to press through something. I was trying to control, but not letting God do any of it. I didn't understand that the Spirit was in me and all this great stuff, and that He works it through you. And so, it's beautiful because abuse, betrayal, forbidden things, that is Satan's deception. And I, man, this is my worst one. You know, 
projecting second. But this was, <laughs> this was a lot to get through when I realized I had it all. Isn't that incredible? So what do we really hold in? That what's, de what's deceiving us from really identifying what we're hiding? Does that make sense? And everybody, people knew that about me. They would ask me if I was happy because they probably knew I really wasn't. That's my testimony because <laughs> through this, through the ministry, I have really cycled. The Lord has really, it is his, it is his work. It is his work. I just surrendered to it. That's it. <clears throat> and we, we've watched her beautifully surrender, you know, because she's in a ministry that she feels protected. Amen. That her, her life's not out on the street about what she went through and these kind of things. There, there's, a, there's a protection. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Got to give that to you? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in us that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's actually here on this. You have this power in you, and it's called the excellence of the power of God. Now, what that power is going to do when, when you release that power, it's going to do this right here. There's four rivers in that power. When Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. There's four rivers. It takes you right back to the Garden of Eden. So when the power, the excellence of that power is released through here, the soul, the four rivers are released, and that's what these, this power is supposed to do. It's supposed to keep you living in prosperity, and that, remember that's not just being rich, it's not being poor, it's being in between, it's called your portion, that, you can, that, that, that really sets you free. The source of all supply Rima answers from God, divine communication with God, and walking it out in true divine love. You cannot walk in true divine love without a divine relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the power in us surpasses our natural ability. That's what happened when Lee got in touch with the problem and renounced it, the power started resurrecting. And she was able to come through it. Amen? And now she's at peace, and God has begun to add the kingdom to her. Amen? That's how it works. That's how it works. You've got to have the power for God to add his kingdom. He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will add all things to you. It's that resurrection power. But see, Satan wants to duplicate the resurrection this is Satan's resurrection right here in our minds. He tries to duplicate everything that God does, so he says, well, I'm going to resurrect my thoughts and their minds, and that's my resurrection against God. If I can just get them to obey and start thinking like I think. But living in the blessings of Abraham, this is our goal, to live in the blessings of Abraham. That's our covenant right. The resurrection power must be free to flow to live that covenant life. 
Is that power free in your life? Talk to me. Is this power free in your life? You, 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 you should know by the fruit, right? The fruit will tell you if that power is flowing in your life. Let's look at Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. Did I give you that one, brother? Nope. All right, Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. Who's got it? So can somebody read it? Lee? Second Peter 1. I think I've got it. Let's see. Three and four. Oh, you need a mic. Hold on. For his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that to life and godliness through through the knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellence. By means of these, he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through them you may escape from the moral decay that is in the world because of covetousness and become sharers of the divine nature. Well, thank you. So it's his power that gives us all things that pertain to his life and his godliness. It's his power that gives us all things that pertain to his life and his godliness through the knowledge of him. So if you don't know him, amen, you can't tap into that power that gives all things that pertain to his life. Because you'll recognize it, you'll have a witness that when something is added to you, it's out of a relationship with him. Amen? And another witness on that would be, it won't sway you away from him. It will sway you more towards him. That's how you know it's from him. So I see the answer. It's the knowledge. And that's what this ministry is about. Jesus Christ is revealed in our spirit, right? Well, how do you know him? Through the renewing of the mind. The renewing, that's, this is where the divine intercourse happens in, in, between the spirit and the soul. Remember, they were divided, and now they're coming back together, being like-minded. Because your spirit has a mind. Your soul has a mind. When the mind of the soul starts thinking like the mind of the spirit, then they're coming back together, and that's when the divine power is released. So God can add everything to you that pertains to his life. Okay, now we're here at the problem. Let's look at the problem. Let's this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we have darkness and a strong mindset, a high thing like this that exalts itself against knowledge of God, is darkness. So if we say that we have fellowship with him, the word just said we're lying. Because if we got any darkness in us that's 
that's reigning, that's ruling, and pulling us back to a mindset that's not like God and the way he thinks, guess what? We just, we just identified ourselves as, as, a, as lying in an area of our life. We say we have fellowship with him. That means we have to have the same interest and have to have companionship with him. And that's got to come from a renewed mind. Get me out of darkness. Let's look at the answer. Get it, let's get out of darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. So it says if we have to, we have to walk in the light to have fellowship with him. When we do, we will have fellowship with each other. What I see a lot in, in the church is a lot of fellowship, but I don't think it's real. Come on. You can get real in here. It's camouflaged. Because of shame, all these things going on. It's not real. Because if it was real, it would set you free. It would set you free right into a divine loving relationship with those people and with each other. So we have to walk in the light. And then it says in that same verse, and the blood cleanses us from missing the mark. No wonder we keep hit, missing the mark and can't get uh, the cleansing of the soul out of the way because we don't have fellowship with one another. But it has to start with God. We have to have fellowship with Him. Amen? You can't get fellowship with Jesus just going on church on Sunday. It's impossible. It's a daily relationship. You've got to get up early. And commune with him. It's like Carrie was saying, the Lord was knocking on his door at three o'clock this morning. Hey, I need I need intimacy with you. I need worship. That's intimacy. When you go into worship, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Listen to that. Cleanses us from all sin. Now he's talking about the church right here. The apostle was talking about the church. So the same spirits are around today. So the apostles today are saying having the same problem as they did back then. But it's time to get it right now because now we got stuff to look at that we can connect with through the senses and to connect with the spirit man on the inside of what the problem really is and how we can overcome it. But Jesus is the answer. It says... We have to know him to have fellowship with him. I have to know my wife to have fellowship with her. Amen? You've got to know a person to have fellowship. Loving each other is a sign of walking in the light. Loving each other is a sign of walking in the light. I think, I think a lot of us are confused about what love is. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. Let's look at 1 John 2.10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, 
there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you have somebody that you're not loving as a brother in Christ and sister in Christ, then there's a problem. There's a problem. You're going you're to be spiritually stumbling all over the place and won't even know it. Because when the stumbling happens in the spirit realm, deception sets in, and you'll think you're on the right path, and you're not. That's how it works. See, Satan's agreements have to go. They have to go. They keep us from knowing Christ. They keep us from walking in his light, and they keep us from loving each other. You can't love each other when you have all this stuff going on on the inside. Unforgiveness, shame, rejection, and all these defenses that come with it, there's no way that you can love each other with this kind of stuff going on. Because what Satan's going to do, he's going he's to connect you with somebody that's got the same problems. So that he can cause more division. We have to replace these with a true relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You've got to get, get intimate with Jesus Christ before you can ever get to the Father. When Jesus said, my Father and I will come make a home with you. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit first, right? So the Holy Spirit's in us. He's trying to clean us up. He's trying to sanctify us. He's trying to identify the problem. He's trying to separate us from the problem. So that the temple can get clean. Can you imagine the Trinity of God in fullness in you and me? The Trinity. That's this last man right here that's all lit up. This is the one that Joel prophesied about, or Daniel prophesied about. The lit up ones are coming. Excuse me? The shining ones, same thing. Shining ones are coming. Daniel prophesied it. The shining ones are coming. Amen? Well, that's what we're headed on. We're, we're, we're going to get there. The lack of love keeps you in the dark. Let's look at 1 John 2.11. 1 John 2.11. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Place of disconnect. Wow. So where are we at? Okay. Go ahead. First John two, three, and four. Now by the now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There it is right there. We know him if we keep his commandments. If we say we know him and fail to love, we are lying. And the truth is not in that area of our life. We know that the truth is already in us. But it's not in an area of our life if we cannot love the person who has done us wrong. Amen? All these defenses are saying to someone, I hate you. 
There's either, it's either love or hate. There's no, nothing in between. All these defenses are saying to someone else, I hate you. Because what's causing this to resurrect like this, because it was down here, because someone came with a word to trigger something in you and me to resurrect this up out of our minds. So, in essence, we're saying we hate that person that just caused this. They just triggered this resurrection out of us against the knowledge of God. That's what this verse is saying. So love, we have to love. We're commanded to love. Love is not in any of these defenses. There's nothing about love in these defenses. They are disguised underlying hate. That's what they are. They're disguised underlying hate because Satan hates Jesus and he's the one that's in you. So we need to connect with the power of love. Let's look at 1 John 2.5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who treasures the word of God and bears in mind his word. That means producing the word of God in your mind. Bearing the fruit of God in your mind. Your mind's supposed to produce the kingdom. And it's released from our tongue. Truly in him has the love of God reached maturity. There it is right there. Truly in him the love of God has reached maturity. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. That's it. So Satan tries to keep the word out of the mind. When the word comes near, through someone else, he rises up against the word. And you'll feel these defenses in the mind. And then you'll speak these defenses. And then, boom, grace was just shut down. It was going to carry us through. Treasure his word. The word connects us to the power, that, sur that power that surpasses our natural ability to love. It takes, the, it takes the resurrection power of God to be able to love people. It's that resurrection power. That's why the enemy does not want this power to get released through the soul. Because this is the kind of power that will supersede your natural ability to love people. So the love of God is in our spirit, but it's matured in our soul. That's what we've got to keep in mind. And the enemy does not want the word to take that place in the mind. Why? Let's look at 1 John 2.8. 1 John 2.8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. There it is. Moral blindness will pass and die and pass away as we yield towards God. And it says, as the word connects to the revelation of God that is already shining in us. You see it shining in us on this poster here. You see it shining under the strongholds. It's already in us. But the word has to make the connection. 
The word of God has to make the connection. The word has to get in the soul, the mind, to connect with the power or it's not going to work. It just won't work. And how do you know that the word of God is in you? What is the test? When you're in that hour of trial, what's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth? The hour of power. The word is the bridge to connect the light. Jesus was manifested in the flesh, right? So when the word take up, takes up occupancy in our soul, now the word is manifesting in our flesh. Amen. We become the word. Test the spirits. Let's look at 1 John 4.1. 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's a voice behind every spirit. Amen? And it's always behind the word. There's a voice behind every spirit speaking to you, a voice that you're hearing. But it says, do not put your faith in every spirit that speaks. I used to do that when I was a baby Christian. I'd put my faith in everybody that spoke from the church. And I got off in error. Many times I get off on the wrong path. Words are spirit. Whose voice is that? You've got to say, whose voice is that? Whose voice is that? Judge it. Whose voice is that? Just don't grab hold of it. Test the spirit. Prove that it is from God. How do you prove that it is from God? How do I test and prove it is from God? Character. Character. The character of Christ is truth and love. The character of the Antichrist is lies and hate. So you really have to know the person that's speaking into your life to make sure that there's not an area of his life that there's life that there's lies and hate operating in. Because the enemy can prophesy through that area of lies and hate in our life. And it'll sound just like God. It'll say, he can, he'll can build you up just like God builds us up. But it fizzles out. It does not have everlasting life on it. Check your, your spirit. That's what I do. I check my spirit. When someone speaks to me a word from God, I consult with my spirit. Everything you need to know is in your spirit. The Holy Spirit is the witness of heaven. He will let you know if that word is from God or not. If you'll just cut salt with your spirit, yield to your spirit. Let's look at 1 John 2.20. Am I right? Right one? No. Check with... Oh, that, yeah, 1 John 2.20. Yeah. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. 1 John 2.20. There it is. You have an anointing, a sacred unction on the inside of you that knows everything that you're supposed to know. Everything. So when people come to you and talk to you and speak something into your life, consult with the Holy One on the inside of you. He knows the real deal. He knows if that's truth. Check with Him. He's within that treasure. He, he will know all things because He answers to God. And here's what God says. 1 John 3.18. 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in, work, in world or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
there it is. Don't love in word or in tongue, but love in deed and in truth. Do something that shows Christ's love. Take action. Show his love. Take action in giving and serving. Helping someone. Serving someone. Do something that takes that kind of action that Christ took for us. But do it in truth, it says. Not selfishness. A lot of us do, do this in, in selfishness to gain when we should be giving, not to gain. Empty yourself and just give, give and help people. False deeds, conditional bribery, deception to, to control. These are false deeds. This is where, you, where the true deed, uh, the, the love and deed and truth, the truth is Christ, but we can do deeds without the truth in it, and it's going to lead us right into a conditional bribery of deception. So when we love in action and in Christ, we receive what we're asking for. Listen to that. Let's go to the next one. 1 John 3.22 Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. His plan is to love each other and to practice it in deed and in truth. That's His plan. Let's look at 1 John 3.23 1 John 3.23 And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There it he is. gave us commandment. See, once you've got that established, that you love one another, let's look at the last scripture, 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Amen. There's no fear in Christ's love. Dread does not exist in his love. Perfected love turns fear out the doors of the soul. That's what perfected love does. Bondage is expelled. Torment is expelled. He who is fearful and anxious, anxious and depressed and worried, he has not yet been perfected in God's love. How do you get perfected in God's love? One John two five. One John two five tells us. Keeps his commandments. Love comes to maturity by keeping the commandments. So we, and his word. See. When you don't deny his word in the hour of trial, you're saying, I love you, God. How many of us abort the word and get over in fear and anxiety? And that leads to depression. We abort the word. So what are we saying? Lord, I don't love you enough. That's what it's saying. If you keep his word, he says, you're telling me that you love me. In that hour of trial. But look what he does with shame when the treasure of his word and the fellowship with him and the fellowship with each other, look what he does in Isaiah 61 7. Isaiah 61 7. 